HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Do you need a CPA that you can trust with all your taxes and financial needs? Look no further than Joanne Flash Fleming at Fleming & Associates CPA. For more info, go to flashfleming.com or email Joanne directly at j-o-a-n-n-f-l-e-m-i-n-g at flashfleming.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. We are coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, February 15th, 2017. This is the 133rd episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guests are culinary champions, and I mean that literally, and I will introduce them fully in a moment. First, as I do on every show, I will start out with my PR tip. Then later, we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to get in the game. You simply can't reach goals or win if you're sitting on the bench. Things happen for people who take risks and aren't afraid to try and possibly fail. So don't let life pass you by. Get in play. As as the expression goes, you have to be in it to win it. That's my tip today. Now, I'm very excited to have my guests calling in today. First, I have Matthew Peters. He is was the executive sous chef at Per Se in New York City and the 2017 head chef for Mentors Team USA, winning first place at the prestigious Bocuse d'Or International Culinary Competition in Lyon, France, which took place a few weeks ago. And my second guest is Philippe Tessier, who was the executive sous chef at the French Laundry in Yontville, California, and won international acclaim in 2015, winning silver at the Baku Store Competition. Philip was head coach chef of the 2017 gold medal team 
which is so fantastic. So um, welcome. Hello. Are you out there? Hello. Yeah, we're here. Great. Well, first of all, I just want to say congratulations because it's such a huge accomplishment to win gold at Baku Store. And I'm just honored to have you guys on the show today. And I like to start out uh, finding out how people got into the industry. So, um, Philip, do you want to maybe start out with like your a little about your background, your culinary career? Did you did you always know you wanted to be a chef? Yeah, sure. So yeah, I grew up in Williamsburg, Virginia, and uh, you know my my path into the culinary career was uh, necessarily planned, but it was kind of like I enjoyed cooking at home and got a job in a restaurant and. One thing turned into the other and became clear that that was something I enjoyed doing, was passionate about. Uh, I kind of ignored everybody who said that it was a, a hard road and a lot of work. Maybe I should have listened to them. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I found my I found my way to the Culinary Institute of America and, um, you know, it really kind of maximized my education there. Stayed on for another year. Uh, always had a passion for French food and, you know, the technique and history uh, behind that cuisine that's you know influenced so much of the food around the world, and so spent about six months in France working in uh, in a few different restaurants, and then uh, traveled to New York City, worked at Laverne, and was part of the opening team at Per Se, and then um, you know when our first daughter was born, looking to move out of the city, came out to California, and uh, been out here for about ten years now, working between uh, the chef at Bouchon and executive sous chef at French Laundry, as you mentioned, and then uh, the Boku store has been. Uh, the last part of the journey recently. Very impressive. I'm feeling I've I've been. I don't. I mean, I was at per se near when it opened, and I've more recently at the French Laundry. So perhaps I've been there when you've been there, <laughs> and and amazing mm-hmm. experiences yeah. at at both restaurants. So and 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 at Bouchon too. I love Bouchon. So um, well, that's 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 quite quite a, a background. Um, what about you, Matthew? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so for myself, um, you know, I, of course, didn't really know what it was going to do, probably uh, more so throughout my entire high school career. Uh, it wasn't until probably towards the end, uh, obviously, I'd been highly involved with art, and, you know, it always kind of grabbed me, uh, and that kind of led me into finding uh, the culinary career a little bit. Um, you know, I've, you know, I started to recognize how much art, uh, was kind of, uh, in with designing of the food. Uh, and I never really saw that coming from a small town in Newfield, Pennsylvania. So it wasn't until I kind of was introduced to the great chefs of the world, which was uh, a publication on PBS way back in the day. Uh, I don't think it, uh, shows anymore, but, uh, that was my first introduction to what, the culinary industry had to offer, and it, it inspired me to kind of go out and uh, research some more, and, and that's what brought me to uh, the La Cordon Blue program, which was in Pittsburgh, which is actually no longer there, uh, unfortunately. But um, from that point, I had the opportunity to work at the, uh, the Ritz-Carlton in Naples, Florida, uh, which was a great experience, especially introduction to, you know, uh, food in, in general. But uh, they had a beautiful dining room. Um, that's when they all existed as well in the in the, in the hotel industry. But uh, that was my first taste of fine dining. Uh, once the market crashed, uh, 
obviously there's a lot of cutbacks and our restaurant was one of those. So that led me into traveling to the next best spot uh, that America had to offer, were, uh, which was New York. And obviously I always dreamt about working at, you know, the big restaurants and, and chefs like Thomas Keller and uh, Lon Ducas and John George and, you know, all the big hitters uh, that came out of New York City or that were in New York City at that time. So uh, I had the opportunity to work at a door, uh, which was an Alain Ducasse restaurant uh, when I first got to the city. And then from that point forward, I wanted to further myself. Uh, and at that point, I felt like I was ready to uh, step in into the restaurant of per se. Uh, was hired there. And then from that point forward, I've been working um, probably the last eight years uh, for Thomas. Um, and that was... Uh, probably three to four years at Per Se, uh, then out to the French Laundry, where, in fact, uh, I worked with uh, Phil. Um, he was the executive sous chef at the time. I was the sous chef. I worked under him uh, for those two years and then had the opportunity to come back to Per Se as the executive sous chef, and then I kind of carried that up until I uh, had the opportunity to compete for Boca's Door. Wow, you answered my question. I was going to see if you guys overlapped. Um at the restaurants and and you did so um well who i mean what's the what's the main difference or is there a difference between you'd say the cooking styles of between um the french laundry and per se or difference i mean being between being in new york and being in california yeah i think you know the uh the format obviously is very similar the menu coursing style of service is is you know, very much aligned. Um, you know, the biggest influence is obviously location. And being in New York, you're, you, you have the, the buzz and excitement and energy of, of New York City. And um, I would say that um, you, know, you have just kind of a, a, a different sense there, different feel, different vibe, you know, just, just from the location you're in in that restaurant. Uh, but in reference to the food, I mean, I think the French Laundry you know, is very heavily influenced by by the garden that's across the street and and their location, um, and I would say that that that's really kind of the driving energy force and um, you know reference point for that restaurant. Um, whereas you know per se is a lot more, I would say, kind of diverse in a sense of where things are coming from. Although both share a sense of of, of both features being from the garden and the diversity. So. There's definitely a different feel, a different vibe. Um, you sense it. You know, I'm sure you sensed it when you when you ate it at both locations. But mm-hmm. uh, there's also, you know, a strong, you know, foundational aspect that ties the two together. Yeah. No, that makes sense. So let let's jump into this competition, Bakustor. Um So, Philip, you you how did you get involved initially? And and for people who don't know about the competition, maybe we can you can give a little background of it. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, the competition was started in 1987 by uh, Paul Bocuse, who, uh, you know, in my mind and, and, and everyone else's is a, you know, a legend in the, in the culinary industry and was really the, the first, uh, you know, celebrity chef, if you will, the first chef who kind of stepped out of the kitchen to the dining room. And he worked his entire life to create a community of chefs and to, you know, elevate his, his uh, trade, you know, his craft. And um, that really led as one of those things that he did was starting the Boku store. And there was the idea of bringing a community of chefs together from all over the world. Uh, you know, now it's 24 countries, you know, that compete against each other every two years in Lyon, where, uh, you know, Paul Bocuse's, you know, eponymous restaurant is. And so it's, um, 
it's a it's a pretty it's pretty hard to explain and get the feeling of what it's like to be there. But you know, if you think about it, you're just in a you're in a stadium. It's 24 countries. You know, there's there's been a selection process over the previous year and a half to two years that's eliminated. You know, up to 60 teams so down to 24. And it's a two-day competition where, you know, 12 teams compete on the first day, 12 compete on the second. Uh, you're given five and a half hours. It's, uh, you know, a chef um, and then what's called a komi or an apprentice who has to be 22 or younger. Uh, so that's a, that's a challenging part of the, uh, the competition is working with, a, you know, a very young chef or, or cook who's going to be your kind of right-hand man, your wingman all the way through. So um, you're assigned a dish. Uh, the way they do it now is in September, beginning of September, they announce, you know, kind of what's the main protein, the meat protein. Uh, you have to design a platter and um, to serve this on, and it's 14 portions. And then it goes into, um, at the end of November, they announce the plated dish. Uh, you know, two years ago it was a fish dish. This year uh, they decided to do a vegan dish, which was uh, an interesting challenge. Um, but, you know, essentially it's a five-and-a-half-hour you know, race against time to do the best, uh, most incredible food you can with, you know, the balance of, of technique and flavor and taste. And, uh, you know, one of the things that's interesting about this competition versus, you know, maybe some of the other cooking competitions that you, you see out there is 40% of your score is based on taste. Um, you know, 20% is presentation. So it's really an emphasis on the flavor, textures, and, and taste of the food. So, uh, yeah, it's um, it's a pretty amazing uh, venue that it all happens in. You know, you're in front of 2,500 screaming fans. There's the media mosh pit up front, and um, you know you're constantly surrounded by kitchen judges who evaluate your kitchen score, how well you work, your cleanliness, your ability to work and interact with each other. And then you know you have all of these other you know great chefs of France and elsewhere kind of wandering around. So you know you train constantly with an attitude towards uh, focusing in on your work, what you're doing you know, playing the game, so to say, and not being distracted by the things around you. It's, it's a, it's a pretty wild ride. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I know it's dubbed the, the, like the culinary Olympics and I've seen, I mean, thanks to uh, Instagram stories, it was kind of fun this year to be able to, to see the liveliness happening um, instantly that, mm-hmm. that was taking place. Um, so how did you get selected or what's the process um with with and and with mentor um, as representing Team USA, um, how did you get recruited? Um, was it through Thomas Keller? Yeah, so I started, um, you know, kind of following the competition. You know, when when Chef Keller's uh, involvement happened back in two and uh, Tim Hollingsworth uh, competed in the two thousand nine Boku Store. So, you know, that was very close to home. We kind of heard the stories, and you know, I actually had a young cook who was working for me who was going to be as Comey initially, and so, you know, I was kind of close to it. You know, it's kind of one of those things I always looked at where it was like, wow, this is really cool and exciting and opportunity that that would be. Um, but having three kids and, you know, running a restaurant, <laughs> you know, it wasn't exactly something that I ever thought I had the luxury of doing. And so you, as things progressed, you know, I saw Richard Rosendale, you know, training through 2012, and then, um, you know, it just so happened that, I was there in 2013 uh, to do a Grand Chef's dinner, and part of our trip was to attend the Boku store the day he competed and go to a few dinners to send off the team the days prior. And so that was where I first became engaged. I mean, I was sitting in a room, you know, with at a, at a send-off dinner, and you know, to my left is Grant Ackett's and you know, Daniel Blue, Thomas Keller, and you know, Roland Passo, and you know, just some incredible 
yeah. <laughs> group of chefs all together. And I was like, why would I not want to be a part of this? You know, and so you know, I was kind of in a transitional period. And at that point, Mentor had become much more established. Um, you know, Mentor is the organization that oversees and supports uh, Bokri Store USA. And so, you know, at that point, they had established it in such a way that, you know, it basically you could do this as a, as a full-time job almost. It was part-time for me initially, but um, kind of was like, hey, you know, I could actually do this because I don't have to be a chef in a restaurant and try to train on top of this. So it, it really was the first opportunity to kind of be able to participate in this competition without having to raise your own funds and really float yourself all the way through. So it really became an opportunity for me. And so there was application process and I applied and, uh, you know, the rest is history from there. And then, um, you know, this year, you know, now we have a U.S. selection where the uh, chefs compete against each other to, to win the right to be the, the U.S. candidate as, as Matt did uh, back in uh, 2016. So, um, yeah, that's pretty much the process. Yeah, well, and I believe when when Gavin Kaysen was, I think, was he the first one who, or I don't know, who was competing for the U.S.? I don't think the mentor was um, established yet. Is that correct? And he was kind of doing the restaurant and doing it, like, on the sides kind of training rather than full-time? Yeah, so the U.S. competed ever since, you know, the first competition. So we've been there every two years okay. since 1987. Uh, you know, Gavin was the last chef to compete. Uh, shall I say, independently, uh, meaning he really kind of had to float himself financially, raise his own money, find a designer for his platter, and and really kind of, you know, turn all the wheels all at once. Um, and so Mentor came in in 2008. At that time, it was Boku Store USA, but Chef Keller, Daniel Balud, and Jerome Bocus came together uh, at the request of Paul Bocus, who wanted to see the competition grow and the quality of candidates elevate in the U.S. Uh, and so when they came together, Tim Hollingsworth was the first one, you know, to compete with that support. And then training year and, you know, they were, they were, everyone was on a learning curve uh, at that point to understand what this competition was. And uh, I think everybody discovered, uh, you know, the intensity and the level of competition is extremely high. And, um, you know, the last, uh, really last 10 years almost have been kind of dedicated towards, uh, you know, building from one team to the next. Uh, Richard Rosendale was a huge part of building the, uh, you know, he has a great competition background, really brought a lot of structure and organization to our organization uh, that was passed on to me. And, you know, this year we've been able to, you know, establish that foundation really well with, with Matt's training. So, yeah, it's been really it's been really great to see the evolution uh, in the U.S. going from kind of an obscure country at this competition to, you know, going this year to be the favorites and, and to win uh, is, is really just a dream, you know, that I don't know that we could have thought we could have achieved um, in, in such a short period of time. Yeah, no, it's absolutely incredible. Uh, and on that note, that high note, we're going to take a little break and then we're going to come back uh, talk with Matthew a little, a little bit about the training process and hear more about the competition. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Are you filing your own taxes and driving yourself crazy? Do you think a professional can do a better job of finding legal deductions? Do you own a business and need help with the accounting and taxes? Are you a not-for-profit business that needs financial guidance? Are you just plain tired of your boring accountant and looking for some fresh eyes? Try Fleming & Associates CPA. 
At Fleming & Associates, Joanne Flash Fleming can quantify anything in a flash. She'll do your taxes, assess your worth, and is even a forensic accountant, an investigator of white-collar crime. Joanne Fleming once said, It was terribly hard for me to read Moby Dick, but put a financial statement or a tax return in front of me, it's like a novel. Imagine that. Has the political and financial news got you feeling down? Joanne Fleming was the accountant for the Occupy Wall Street movement back in 2010. Who better to trust with your financial secrets? For more info, go to flashfleming.com or email Joanne directly, J-O-A-N-N-F-L-E-M-I-N-G at flashfleming.com. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guests today are head chef Matthew Peters and head chef coach Philip Tessier of Mentors Team USA, which just competed at the 2017 Bacoustor competition in Lyon, France, and they won the whole thing, which is amazing. So, Matthew, um, let's talk. I love to hear about the training process because it's a full-time job, and it's it's kind of hard for me to grasp um, what it's like to train for a five-and-a-half-hour competition um, that's like the Olympics. So what was what it, what is it like? <laughs> yeah, well, I, you know, you know, when you say five-and-a-half hours and you talk about 14 plates of food and you talk about a platter that feeds also 14 individuals, you know, it's, you look at it as like, oh, it's only five-and-a-half hours, it's 28 plates of food, like in a restaurant, that's that's a that's a very little amount of food being served. So, you know, it's it's not fully understood exactly what actually has to happen to get to that point. Um, and you know, you know, in a restaurant, you have you know twenty eight, you know, twelve or four. I mean, depending on uh, the size of your restaurant, but you you have this team behind you that's building all this for you. So um, for our point, uh, it's just myself and another individual. Now, obviously, you know, we have this mentor group uh, and, and a team that slowly is built around us to kind of assist and help us uh, along the journey. But a majority of that is executed from the ground up, um, and that's where uh, this time uh, comes uh, along. So the entire year uh, wasn't fully uh, spent on just, and developing food in these dishes, you know, some of it, uh, we, you know, had to do with, um, you know, coming out here and finding a space to work out of, uh, you know, just like every year, just like James comes here, there's always kind of these uh, trials and tribulations that they have to fight through and get to to get to the, the end result. And same thing through Richard's year. And I know the same thing that happened to Phil in his year. Uh, and, you know, just like Phil was talking about, you know, there's these learning curves that we're kind of learning still. Uh, and developing the system and this uh, this idea of being successful in this in this competition, and one of it is finding a central lo- uh, home and location for us to continue the training, and so that there's some consistency and and uh, further development of what we're trying to achieve. Uh, and one of them for us, uh, one of the challenges was, uh, you know, we we came out here I think in April or maybe it was uh, May, uh, not April. Uh, and, you know, at that point, uh, we had the idea of that we we're going to be moving into what we call the Bocuse House, which is a house that sits next to the French Laundry. And in the past, it's been kind of like a, a training hub for 
uh, you know, the individuals that come out and be connected to the garden that's across the street and get some uh, inspiration of, you know, and direct uh, conversations with uh, Chef Keller and, you know, and, and kind of, you know, that influence of, you know, what we need to do and, and how we need to do it. And, you know, uh, Chef Phil had the opportunity to kind of stay there and train the entire year, and it was very successful for him. Uh, but we always knew that, you know, the more experience that we had in a kitchen that actually fit the format of what we were going to compete in uh, was crucial to the success. And, you know, so Chef Phil uh, had the opportunity to kind of create that space out here at the Hessen Vineyards, uh, where he currently works at. And so when we knew that we weren't going to have that kitchen space because of the renovations that were happening at the Prince Laundry, uh, we were kind of scrambling on where we're going to go and, and, and how we're going to do this. And, and fortunately, you know, we were able to get the kitchen up and running here. And then it actually became very beneficial because we were able to train and practice in that kitchen format uh, the same way that it is uh, on that final day in Lyon. So uh, from that point forward, uh, there's development of the food. So you know that you have three individual garnishes. You know you have a protein, although you don't know what that protein is going to be yet until uh, approximately about the beginning of September. And then you have no idea what the theme dish is. Now, we're calling it a theme dish because now it seems like every year they continue to change it uh, gradually to kind of fit the modern time. So traditionally it's always been a fish dish, and now it's, you know, this year they throw us a, another curveball like they do every year, it's, uh, and they you know, announce that it's going to be this vegan dish, uh, which obviously vegetables are at the height uh, of our of our culinary um, careers now. So it's just like everybody's... Uh, the attention is on, you know, these vegetables and eating healthy and organic. So uh, they they brought this theme of uh, uh, of, of a vegan dish, and um, but that wasn't even announced until November. So leading up to that point, we're working uh, constantly on, you know, what's the new thing? You know, what? How can we change this competition? How can we, you know, deliver that wow factor uh, that you know Phil did so successfully, you know, with his platter. Uh, the year before and kind of the techniques that we were able to implement into the competition and what got us to that podium. And, and that was what we were striving to do this year because we obviously want to improve every year. We want to, you know, and continue to deliver that excitement. Um, you know, and, and one of the crucial parts of that was having Martin Kastner and Crucial Detail involved. And um, he, he obviously delivered again with the platter that he was able to create. Uh, but he also um, has this ability to create tools and to reinvent things that, you know, we're unable to do on our side of things or at least have access to on the, on the, on the market that's out there for chefs. So uh, obviously there's ideas and visions that we have in our head of what we want the food to look like. And Martin's the one that really kind of brings that to life. Uh, so and, and who is this the, again? Who's the Mar- year is Mar- uh, Martin conducted did- with him. Okay, Martin is the one who, who who designs the the actual the platter the plate that I or what's what's his name again? Uh, Martin Kastner. Okay, uh, with Crucial Detail. Yeah. yeah. So he he's been affiliated with you know obviously Alinea and Grand Atkins for the for the longest time. He's the 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 brains behind uh, a lot of uh, the uh, the plate work that uh, that you find in Alinea. Um, so you know he he. Uh, I know Phil reached out to him uh, his year to kind of just design the platter, but what they ended up doing is finding out that he was able to uh, also design these tools to help us become more efficient. Uh, so obviously time is such a crucial part of 
of the execution of our food. So he's able to eliminate and cut down those that, that timeline uh, to be able to execute all this food in such a short amount of time. So uh, we, we kind of took the approach this year of utilizing them as such. So the first chunk of the uh, between probably April through, you know, midsummer, maybe June, July, uh, into August, we really developed as many tools as we could to kind of help us recreate these dishes, you know, the little components uh, that were going to uh, be on the platter as well as uh, possibly the, the theme dish. Uh, so leading up to that point, we're, we're constantly designing the food and, and uh, redeveloping it and refining it and um, and at that point, once we know we have a, a good base behind us, that's usually when the protein is released. And then we're right back to the whole process again. And then we got to figure out what we're going to do with the protein. And, um, you know, there's a lot of recipe uh, that need to be created throughout this process, a lot of documentation, um, a lot of uh, working through the times of how long it's going to take uh, something to create. Because... You, you might be able to make something beautiful in two and a half hours, three hours, but are you able to fit that into a five and a half hour run with, you know, the other, you know, um, over probably 150 different ingredients and things that you have to execute along with that, that item. So, you know, that's majority of the training process, um, you, you know, as well as us having to develop the kitchen that was out here. So, you know, it's a tremendous mm-hmm. amount of work that is, uh, that needs to be done between the chef and the comey or the apprentice, as Bill was saying. Uh, so that's also why we added an additional team of individuals uh, that uh, also kind of helped fill around. Uh, we had one individual that kind of came on. Uh, and so we kind of created uh, this restaurant-style atmosphere once we started getting into these these runs. And they really helped alleviate some of the 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 prep work that needed to be done so we can really uh, evolve the food and execute the way that we wanted it to. Right. So, um, what what so what's next for you guys? Do you, are you going to stay on on board? Are you going back to to kitchens and restaurants, or are you going to be training the next team? Like, what what's the future? I'll let Phil start with that one. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. Um, yeah, so, I mean, uh, for me, like, uh, you know, I've, I've been living the, the Boku store life for the last four years. Um, and, uh, you know, it's funny, like, after we took silver in 2015, uh, I think I think it was maybe even the same day someone came to me like, so are you going to do it again? <laughs> you know, and I'm like, you know, it's kind of like asking someone who just had a baby if they want to have another one. Like, you know, there's a a season of time here where we need to kind of, you know, create some distance between the the, the stress right. and pressure and, so, you know, tenacity that's, that all those kind of brings together. And so, you is know, my for, question, for me, my of, question you know, too early. Big moment, reassess. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, okay. You know, kind of just, you know, reassess, you know, where, where we at, where we're at, what we did well, what we need to change and, uh, and look at how things come together. Uh, you know, for me, I always look at the opportunity, you know, not just for myself, but for the other individuals. You know, my my goal and vision is that the you know the, all the young chefs who are involved this year and last year, outside of just the team, you know, will become part of the future support and future candidates, and you know, being able to allow other opportunities for people to be involved. So we'll see. You know, we'll see what the the steps forward are. Um, you know, our goal is to you know eventually open a restaurant on, on my end. You know, I kind of 
uh, took a job here with um, a consulting role that turned into a company, sort of, and uh, it was great because it's been, you know, really great learning experience, but also allowed me the time I needed to work with the team, which is, you know, a, a strong and very large commitment. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, obviously we, my goal in 2015 afterwards was to make sure that this wasn't uh, a one-off, you know, something we did once and, you know, we once over that year back way back when, but to make sure that the legacy continued and that we finished the job, uh, you know, it was a huge jump to go from where we had placed previously the best we'd ever done was six to go from six all the way to silver. You know, we were only nine points out of 2000 for gold and, you know, I knew we had the opportunity to go back and win. So, you know, this year was all about unfinished business. Yeah. No, that's great. Okay, so on a, on a little different note, I'm going to ask you my question from last week on episode 132. I had on Ellie Krieger. She's an RD nutritionist and host and executive producer of public television's cooking series, Ellie's Real Good Food. So she wants to know, what are some small, easy things that home cooks can do that would dramatically up their game for the meals that they put on the table? Any tricks you have? Um, Matthew, do you want to? Take that? Uh, acid. Uh, finish, acid. You know, whether it's finishing it with a little bit of a lemon or or vinegar or something, it's just like, you know, I, I feel like, you know, a lot of people at home don't necessarily cook uh, with that. And I think that makes a tremendous uh, attribute to, to whatever you're eating and not to be uh, stingy with it, you know, treat it. Yeah. No, I like it. Philip, do you have anything? Yeah, you know, it's kind of along the, the, the same the same lines a little bit. I mean, I, one of the things I think people underestimate the most is uh, is, is their seasoning in food. Uh, you know, I remember I cooked something one time, and it was like, wow, this is the most amazing chicken. What did you do to it? Did you brine it? Did you do this? I was like, I put salt and pepper on it. You know, it was like <laughs> just just using the right amount of salt uh, and also the right kind of salt. You know, a lot of people use just iodized table salt, but it has a very, it's going to sound funny, but it has a very salty flavor to it, whereas kosher salt is a, is a cleaner salt that allows food to get properly seasoned but doesn't have that kind of what we attribute as a salty flavor and you know obviously you get too much and you're and you're over the hill but um you know being able to just pay attention to seasoning how much salt you use and, and the appropriate seasoning can really even just basic recipes that people use every day so you know that balance of salt and acid and food is something that you know we focus on constantly and eliminates a lot of times we need to do much more with it awesome great tips Okay, we're going to take another break here, and then we're going to come back and we're going to play my speed round game and talk some industry news. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guests today are Matthew Peters and Philip Tessier, and it's time for my speed round game. So what this is, is I'm going to name two things or more, such as chocolate or vanilla, and you just pick your preference. You guys ready? 
Ready? Do it. Okay, here we go. Eat in or eat out? Eat out. Yeah, eat out. Don't want to do the dishes. <laughs> <laughs> Wine, beer, cocktail, or mocktail? I'm a cocktail guy. Yeah, definitely. Tasting menu or a la carte? I prefer the a la carte. Uh, you know, the long tasting menus, I, they have their time and place, but I enjoy being able to pick and choose what I like. Yeah, I, I, I'd have to go with the tasting menu, but only if I don't know what's coming. That's the best way. Like <laughs> when the chef just cooks for you and it's all a surprise. Right. All right. Good reasoning on both. How about small plates or large plates? Small plates. Yeah, definitely small plates. Communal table or chef's counter? I'd have to go chef's counter on that. Just, you know, seeing the energy in the kitchen and watching the different things people are doing. It's always fun. Yeah, I'll agree with the chef's counter, too. Okay. A few more. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? All-inclusive charge. How about cooking in competitions or for restaurant service? I'll tell you, I, I enjoy the restaurant service, uh, but I'll tell you, there's nothing like the energy that you get in at a competition. Um, but, you know, in the restaurant service, obviously, you, you love both. Uh, you have to compete in both to kind of understand where that comes from. But, uh, you know, I know I miss the restaurant competing, and then I also will probably miss competing once I'm in the restaurant. So, Right. <laughs> yeah, I'd say for me, you know, I look at what the rewards are, you know, and, uh, you know, for me, I think one of the most important things of the restaurants is, is hospitality and, and cooking. And so definitely the restaurant for me, um, just that reward of seeing people enjoy your food. Um, but the competition is different and has a different reward, you know, when you have – American flags on your jacket, and you're you're there competing for your country. Uh, you know, I can tell you, I haven't I haven't had anything that's come close to that feeling of representing your country and, and winning. Uh, you know, for the for those flags on your jacket. So uh, the reward is huge on both ends, but I'd say the reward is is consistently there uh, for the restaurant, and so I would choose that. Okay. How about per se or the French laundry? Ooh. I know that's a hard one. That's... I would I would pick defense laundry. Just I enjoy the I enjoy the country. I love the city. I miss the city being there, but you know I enjoy I enjoy the Napa area. So yeah, um, yeah. For me, the garden and everything it just it, it means a lot. Just being close to your food. I like per se. I like the city. I love the energy. I love the excitement of the food. So I'm going to go with per se. Okay, I like it. That we got one for each. Okay, two more. Cheese plate or dessert. I I prefer a cheese plate. Yeah. I'm not a big I'm not a big dessert guy. Although I do love my my fair share of desserts here and there, but I'm definitely cheese first all the way. Okay. Manhattan, Brooklyn, or Napa is my final one. I'm a I'm a city well, guy. I'm a- I love the city, <laughs> so I'm I'm Brooklyn. Yeah. <laughs> I think we answered that one already. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> Got it. And that's the game. Yeah. Great. What was the last one? Oh, that that was the last one. Manhattan, Brooklyn, or Napa. So, um, and you did you did pretty much answer that in your explanation. So, cool. So, um, 
Uh, for industry news, I, had, I picked out an article that was in the New York Times and is titled, Should Restaurants Offer Guests That First Taste of Wine? This is by Eric Asimov. And um, I thought it was, it, it was it's, an interesting, it's an interesting question he's asking. He was, Eric was recently at uh, Italian, which is a new Italian restaurant um, in, in New York City. I've, I've been to the more tavern-like park up part up front and it's 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 a great Italian restaurant and so he was there and the wine director Erica O'Neill um, has decided that she's not um, pouring a taste uh, or, or the the initial uh, sip for guests to taste to see if it's corked or not and she's basically uh, their policies they're doing it um, themselves the sommelier is tasting it and um, and then just pouring the wine so he's questioning like is this it, is this what we should be doing? Um, and I think her reasoning was a lot of taking away uh, the awkwardness of guests maybe of trying to figure out if it's corked or not. Um, but then there was another part of it saying that perhaps there is another purpose of the taste is like whether you like it or not. It's not just about deciding if it's if it's um, a good wine. So um, you guys come from great restaurants. What's your what's your take on this? Anyone? Yeah, I'll let Matt take it first. <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, you know, I had, you know, I did have the opportunity to read that article, and it's very interesting. You know, it 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 does it does make a lot of great points. You know, I, I think as guests, you know, every guest would be different. Every guest, you know, interprets wine differently, and you know, I, I do agree with allowing the taste to be whether or not you enjoy that wine or not. Uh, I think that's more or less, you know, where I kind of go with the wine. Um, obviously, you know, I'll leave the experts up to you know deciding, you know what kind of wine and what it, you know, whether it's corked or whether it's up to its age or, uh, or flavor. So, you know, at that point, you know, for me, tasting the wine is strictly whether or not I enjoy it. And I feel like it's something that, uh, not only myself, but the, the guests obviously around us. Um, I do feel there are times when it is a little uncomfortable of like, you know, what are we doing? And, you know, you, you know, I've seen people react of like, how do you swirl the glass or, you know, uh, so I understand where they're coming from, where that uncomfortable uh, feeling would would be would be there, and you know, eliminating that would obviously make it easier for the for the guests. So, you know, I think it's up to the service staff to be able to uh, pick up on whether or not you know is this a wine connoisseur that is you know you know all about you know tasting his wine and understanding what that is and. You know, I think that needs to be brought up in that, in, in somewhere in that service. And, and do I know what that approach would be? No. Uh, I think that's probably more or less for the team and the Psalms to be able to figure out. Uh, but I do think it needs to be something where you, you're reading the guests and, and see whether or not, you know, it's, it's something that they're wishing to do. Or maybe it's offered. Uh, I, I'm not 100% sure what the answers are yet, but uh, I, do, I do agree to a lot of the comments that were made, though. Yeah, no, I, I I agreed. It was a great article. It also it had some 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 um, comments from John Reagan, who's the uh, master of SOM and director of operations for Union Square Hospitality Group. And you know, uh, he was saying it's okay to give guests a moment, you know, to and but it's you know, and and maybe it's it is to decide if they like the the taste of it, um, not necessarily about being corked or not. Um, I also right. thought it was it was interesting. I saw on Twitter that Pete Wells, the reviewer for the New York Times, um, he was in a conversation, kind of tweeting about it and saying, like, you're, it, it's hard to take away the power from 
customers being that it's like a traditional thing to give customers the right. you know uh, the the power to decide if they want you know they think the wine's good or not so um mm-hmm. i thought it was interesting no it's definitely an interesting topic okay so we'll see we'll see if other restaurants pick up on that or not um that was the industry news. And then before we take one more break, I just have a couple of announcements. So um, Star Chefs, the restaurant industry magazine, is hosting the 20 winners of its 10th New York Rising Stars Awards on Tuesday, February 21st at Capitol. Um, if I'll be attending the event, it's a great list of rising stars, um, including chefs Greg Backstrom of Olmstead and Suzanne Cups of Untitled. So if you if you want to check it out, their website starchefs.com. Also, next week I'm not going to be here because I'm going to South Beach Wine and Food Festival, which is obviously taking place um, in Florida uh, from February 22nd, 26th. And um, if you want to check that out and uh, possibly see me down there, you can go to sobefest.com. Uh, I think there's definitely still tickets available. There's tons of events. So that's my news, uh, culinary news this week. And... Um, We're going to take one more break, come back and do my solo dining experience. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It's time for my solo dining experience. Okay, so in keeping with today's theme, this week, my experience is at Le Auberge du Pont de Cologne. I don't, I'm, I'm going to butcher that name, I know. So otherwise, it's known as Paul Bacuse Restaurant. Here's the rundown. The location, 50 Rue de la Plage, Lyon, France. The concept, a temple of tradition and old-style service known for Nouvelle Cuisine. The chef and founder, the legendary Paul Bacuse, the founder of Bacuse Door. Why did I go? So I was in Paris about five years ago with my family, and I took a solo venture down to Lyon for two days because I wanted to experience the capital of gastronomy and home of the classical French cuisine. So my experience... Now, I recall being kind of giddy like a culinary nerd when I arrived at the Bacuse restaurant. Um, It was about a 20-minute taxi ride from the city center. And I was taken to this very pristine, almost like palace-like setting. I was greeted. I remember there was a glass window. You could peek in the kitchen. I was brought into the main dining room, which was only about a quarter full um, with guests. Service was very formal and attentive. And the highlight of the meal was Chef Bacuse who was 85 years old at the time, walked around the dining room greeting every table. So it was really quite an honor for him to be there and just greet me. What did I get? Now, I opted not to do the tasting menu. Instead, I had, I'm just going to say it not in French because I know I'll mess that up. So I had the thin filet of red, red mullet covered in potato scales. And there were also amuse courses and a few cheeses from their impressive cheese cart. My take, it was an extremely beautiful fish, 
probably the most beautiful fish I've ever been served with sliced and layered potatoes depicting fish scales on the top. And it was delicious. The ambiance, elegant and refined like a palace. Everything from the plates to the wall decor is special. And I remember admiring um, the service with all the silver trays coming out and putting on carts. And it was just a very formal process. Perfect for a -a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Interesting tidbit. Bacuse is the longest-standing three-Michelin star restaurant, earning them first in 1965. And since 1987, the Bacuse store has been regarded as the most prestigious award for chefs in the world. Personal fun fact. I've represented in PR a couple of classic French restaurants in New York City, including Capsudo Frere, which owners came from Lyon. So visiting the city was had a lot of special meaning for me. Okay, the cost, again, this was five years ago. So I think it was about $120, um, but I'm, I'm, that's, that's my guesstimate. Would I go back? Of course. Website is bacuse.fr. So there you have it. What do you guys think? You like my solo dining? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, now, now if you go back, you can you can see our names engraved in front of the restaurant too. So we'll add to the add to the experience. Awesome. Part of, part of the tradition and ceremony is the book store owners are engraved in front of the walkway leading into the restaurant. So that's very USA. cool. That's special. I'm I'm due for another trip. Maybe I'll I'll do the uh, 2019 uh, competition. Attend that. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, it looks it looks like fun to be there. So, and, and less stressful than than cooking. <laughs> <laughs> be, I don't know. I'll Some be happy to be on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, um, okay. So it's time for the final question. So, my next guest is Missy Robbins. She's the head chef and owner of Lilia, which is a three star. New York Times restaurant in Williamsburg, and um, I'm friendly with Missy. She's awesome. So I wanted to see if, if you guys can ask her a question. I don't know, Matthew, if you want to take this or you both want to ask her one. It's yeah. up to you. I have a question. Uh, Missy Robbins, are you going to be the next Buku Store candidate for 2019? Ooh. <laughs> Well, that's 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 um, that's something we didn't even touch on about like women in the competition. I don't know. Are have there been are there other women um, competitors, or has it been more male dominated? Just as a side note, I, yeah, there, I think there was I think two here in America. Go ahead, Phil. You got it. No, I was just going to say there was. Uh, you know, there was two this year. And I think, you know, it's one of the things, like, uh, we hear a lot is, like, this is, like, a male-dominated thing. And you know, I think if you look at the culinary craft, you know, it's it's metamorphed in so many different ways, you know, over the last 20 years. And one of those is, you know, a large increase in, in the amount of women in the kitchen, which has, you know, been amazing to watch and the amazing growth of, you know, especially chefs like Dominique Crenn and, you know, um, Tracy Desjardins, et cetera, in our area here. But, um, you know, I think it's catching up, you know, and I think, you know, we Mimi Chen was – you know, one of our assistants, and she won the Young Chef's Call Me competition at the age of 18. Uh, and, you know, I would see as part of the future of what we're doing for Boku Store in the U.S. But uh, there was also two, you know, women chefs competing uh, this year in France. Um, so I think it's something that you're going to see as, uh, as part of the future of the competition. Okay. As another, just a, another question I had. You had said there was an age for the the assistant or the, the Komi, like up to age... 22 is there an age limit to to the head chef 
Uh, not that I'm aware of. So I could do it when I'm 50 if I, if I feel inspired to. Okay. I wasn't. I wasn't <laughs> sure. We'll see. Yeah. No. In fact, quite a few chefs have come back for a second or even a third attempt. Um, most notably, Rasmus Kofed of uh, Granium in Denmark. You know, who won bronze, silver, and then gold. Uh, so, you know, he's uh, he's kind of the poster child of the Boku store, if you will. Okay. Good to know. Okay, so that was one question for Missy. Do, do, do you want to ask her another one, or should we just keep keep it as that? I think let's see what she still has one. Okay. One is good. That's all I need to, to keep the show okay. moving between between episodes. Okay, so then that is the show. So thank you guys so much for, for calling in today and joining me, and, and huge congratulations to both of you. Um, enjoy your victory. Thank you very yeah, much. Thank you. Thanks for having us. You're welcome. I hope to see you soon, whether it's it's in, in New York City or Napa or elsewhere. So my guest... Okay, sounds great. Thank yeah. you. No, you're welcome. Thank you. Okay, so everyone listening, my guests today have been Matthew Peters, the 2017 head chef, and Philip Tessier, the coach and 2015 silver medalist chef of Team USA on behalf of Mentor at the Bocustior competition in Lyon, France. You can check out their website at mentorbkb.org and at bocustor.com. You can follow on social media at Matthew D. Peters, at Philip Tessier, at Mentor BKB, and at Bacustor. You can follow me at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. My websites are BayerPublicRelations.com and SherryBayer.com. You can also find all of our shows archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are also on iTunes and Stitcher. Thanks always to my engineer, Vitor. Now, as I said earlier, I'm going to be away next week at Sobe Wine and Food Festival. So my next live show will be Wednesday, March 1st at 4 p.m. with Missy Robbins. Hope you'll tune in then. And until then, have a great week. I'm Sherry Bayer, and thank you for being a part of All in the Industry. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. But the seeds you